1: Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna add ya to knock us a jag like Michael Walker, Polanco. Which
0: players are ready to take the next step in 2021, or maybe I should just call them breakouts. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stamfel alongside Scott White. And you're listening to this on Thursday, December 3rd, but we are recording it on Tender Day. So happy Tender Day to you, Scott. Uh, what is the best dipping sauce for chicken tenders?
1: None at all. A, a properly cooked chicken tender, <sighs> properly seasoned and cooked. Should not need dipping sauce. I forgot but you could, were one of those. Uh, I yeah, you were one I'm, of those I'm, I'm a sauceless wonder, you could say. So does that mean you don't use ketchup for French fries either? I do not. No, no, I don't. I don't use anything for French fries either. Ugh. If it's done right, Frank, it doesn't need it. Okay, sauce is to mask... A flaw. No, no, no. That's what, that's what it exists for. <laughs> it's to add value. All right, so
0: Tender Day is not going how I thought it was going to go, <laughs> but it is also the return of Ellen Adair Day. You may remember from last offseason, uh, we had her on. We, I mean, Adam Azer, Scott, and Chris, and she's an actor in The Sinner, Homelands, and Billions... Billions? I believe that. Yes, correct. That's the name of the show. Co-host of the uh, Take Me Into the Game" podcast. Follow her on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair, A-D-A-I-R. What's going on, Ellen?
2: Hey, uh, barbecue sauce is the best dipping sauce for chicken tenders, in my opinion. That's what's going on.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for an answer. I I prefer ranch myself, but... I, you know, honestly, Ellen, I probably have barbecue sauce pretty low on the, sp- uh, on the scale, if I'm being honest. I'm it
2: depends on whether or not there's any seasoning to the chicken tenders. If we're talking about buffalo chicken tenders, then mm. I believe blue cheese to be the best. But I understand the ranch people. However, if it's just a just normal chicken tender, then I think barbecue sauce, although honey mustard is also good. But also, I don't mind just a good chicken tender by itself also.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Pleasing everybody right now. I like I that.
2: mean, chicken tenders are just the best. So they do please everybody except what? for the vegans.
1: Look, yeah. if, if you get your garden variety, like stadium, you know, concession stands, generic chicken tender that pretty much has no taste at all, then of course you need dipping sauce. But like, I'm thinking of like you know, really high-end, like, I don't know, Chick-fil-A, like Publix. Have you ever had Publix chicken tenders? You guys probably don't even know what I'm talking about when I say well, Publix. It's like a man. supermarket, isn't it? It is. Their chicken tenders are amazing, though. Okay. And it's just like chicken they I have this, like, it. really faint spiciness to them. I don't know. It might just be pepper doing it. I, I don't know exactly. I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I could just I could just devour those. Hot, cold, uh, Without sauce, I mean they're just they're just delicious, they're delicious. All righty,
0: so agree to disagree on the chicken tenders. Uh, I would like to apologize first and foremost to Ellen. I messed up one of the shows that you're on uh, i am a bad host because I haven't actually watched the shows that you've been on, but I promise I will. I will at some point, so it's on the bucket list. watch shows <clears throat> that Ellen has been on for sure, but I went back and listened to the podcast that you did with these guys last year, and I remember you got you talked about an actor thing where you called Scott out for saying the word didn't. Didn't. Yes, the way that he says it. So as Which you- is so dear to me. Probably know, <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I, as a baseball host, cannot pronounce the word innings. I cannot pronounce Charlie Morton. I just don't pronounce the T. John uh, Carlos Stanton, there's no T in there either. And someone pointed out to me on Twitter today that I say the word barrels weird. So- Uh, barrels? Does it sound weird?
2: Not to me. I do appreciate the glottal stop for a T in pretty much any dialect, but I I like it in an American dialect. I like when people say mitten and they don't put the T in there. So Stanton is like that when you don't put the T. Yeah.
0: I'm for it. Yeah. And I do that for Morton. And if there's anything else that I say throughout the podcast, Ellen, that you want to call me out for just the way I say it, or, or Scott for that matter, just Feel free. Feel free to do so. It's not
2: a calling out. It's a loving observation.
0: I agree. And that's how everybody (laughs) should phrase that. Today on the show, of course, we will get to some of the non-tenders, some of the players that were tendered as well. Uh, Apparently, lots of Rangers and Phillies stuff didn't. All right, there is some Rangers news. And of course, I want to ask Ellen about the Phillies. And players, we expect to take the next step, break out. Uh, We also have a leftover mailbag question if we can get to that a little bit later on. Busy day of non-tenders and their fantasy fallout. Eddie Rosario, David Dahl, Kyle Schwarber, Adam Duvall. Those were probably the biggest names that I saw non-tender. There's a few others, Carlos Rodon as well, and uh, some other names out there. Jose Archie Martinez. Archie Bradley. Archie Bradley. Yes, Archie Bradley as well. Right. So he can go somewhere and make an impact uh, in, in a bullpen. But let's start off with uh, Eddie Rosario here. was set to make $9.6 million in arbitration. Uh, he has 2.1 war. Since the start of 2019, which is the same as Robbie Grossman, Scott Kingery, and Ryan Braun. So I can't really fault the Minnesota Twins, I guess, for non-tendering Eddie Rosario. It it does come as a bit of a surprise. Scott, is it Alex Kirilov time in Minnesota?
1: I think it probably is. They called him up to... to, He actually started a playoff game for them. Um, Has been... like He he had a bad year last we saw of him statistically, uh, 2019. He was dealing with a wrist injury. The numbers weren't so great. But you look at what he did in 2018, uh, over 40 doubles, over 20 homers. He hit like... Sorry, I just messed up my mic. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was great. He was great is the point. Scott is so excited um, over Alex Kirilov. He can barely hold on anymore. to his microphone. I, yeah. Um, okay, so let me actually pull up the numbers. 348 with 20 homers, 44 doubles in 130-game minor league season for Alex Kirillov, And reports out of, you know, even leading up to that playoff game where he got called up, re- reports out of the alternate training site for the Twins was that he was really opening eyes there. Um, just, Just a really well-rounded hitter. Not a guy who's gonna add much speed or anything, but like I, I've seen like Corey Seeger comparisons to Alex Kirilov as, as to the type of hitter he could be. So it, it's this opportunity for him is exciting, no doubt. I mean a little surprising. I wasn't counting on Eddie Rosario playing somewhere else, but um, you know, he'll he'll get a job somewhere else. Like the like the problem for him and Adam Duvall is they just got their salary progressed too quickly through arbitration and like Slug, right, right-handed hitting, slugging corner men who don't get on base at a good clip are just pretty easy to replace. So a lot of these guys will end up getting swapped around, but they'll still have jobs. Um, Karoloff, though, an, an an opportunity being opened up for him. That's pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's the more shocking thing is about sort of Rosario, the fantasy player, who really, it's killed me that I've never heard anybody call him steady Eddie when it's just right there for you to pick up. But, you know, he's not a great defensive player and he often hasn't been great in the OBP department. The kind of sad thing is that looking at his numbers in 2020 is he actually had his highest walk rate and he was uh, at least in the positive in regards to defensive run saves. But I guess teams could or his team could just be thinking that that's a small sample. And like Scott said, just that he's sort of too expensive at this point. Um, but Kirilov should be able to hit and hit for power. I hadn't heard the Corey Seeger comp myself, but the book has been that his plate discipline kind of leaves something to be desired. But looking at his minor league numbers myself, they don't look outrageous. He is not particularly fast. And so I think he has started to play first base sometimes, so that may be where he ends up in the future. But roster resource currently has him at DH. That is with, of course, the Nelson Cruz situation up in the air.
0: David Dahl, poor guy. I think he's a good player. I really do. I mean, 828 OPS in his career. I think he's a solid hitter. But he has missed 183 of a possible 384 games over the last three seasons with the Colorado Rockies. He was non-tendered as well. And... Before everybody like loses their mind over Garrett Hampson again for the like one millionth time, uh, roster resource has Sam Hilliard as the strong side of a platoon in center field. So we'll see what happens, Ellen. Um, did, I, I think this is probably the most surprising one of the day, David Dahl. I don't. I don't know.
2: I mean. There's so, many pros- There's so many players who were first-round picks for their organization who were non-tender today. And I guess because David Dahl is pretty young, but he's like a year younger than Kyle Schwarber, I think. I'm not looking at their ages right in front of me. So, I mean, I personally, of those two players, I think I'd sort of rather have Schwarber. Because, like, David Dahl has been surprisingly terrible defensively. He doesn't seem like he would be, but he's been quite, quite bad. Um, Not that I'm getting super excited about Garrett Hampson. (laughs) However, I don't know that that makes a lot of sense to me about Hilliard being the strong side of a platoon with Hampson, just because Hampson actually has reverse splits where he's better versus righties over his career, And also this year, like for his career, it's like a 10 point difference. And also it's also not something drastic. I could see, you know, obviously it's the Rockies, so I don't trust them at all to play any of their young players. (laughs) But yeah, I could see him maybe ending up doing a little bit more than just being the weak side of the platoon.
0: Don't do it, Scott. Don't do it. Don't do what? Don't do Garrett Hampson. Don't do it. I know what you're thinking. I see this devious smile on your face. You've done it over Look. and over again.
2: Friends Look. don't let friends draft Garrett uh, Hanson.
1: <laughs> I don't think we've seen enough of Hampson in the majors yet to have a firm idea of who he is or what he's going to be. Um, you know, there, there there's there's more opportunity for him now than there was without Dahl. And what one interesting note about this Doll non tendering is that uh, Rocky's GM has actually said they don't plan to pursue him. Which you know a lot of these cases, there's probably a hope they're going to be able to sign the player back for for less money. But part of what made the doll uh, situation so surprising was that like he he made two and a half million last year. The thing about arbitration is uh, kind of what I was alluding to earlier is you have to get paid more every year. That's the way arbitration works. So if you have a big season that earns you a lot of money in arbitration and then follow it up with a stinker, it's, it's hard to justify uh, the team giving you a raise. You can potentially keep the salary the same, but the, the bottom line is it can't go down. Uh, so, you know, Dahl's salary hadn't risen to an especially high point yet, and they were still non-tendering him, uh, saying they have other outfielders in the organization that they want to, to try to use instead. Now, this seems to be the one that is having the biggest reaction within the fantasy baseball community. Uh, Dahl, of course, a perennial sleeper playing for the Rockies. A- and I see a lot of takes out there like, you know, he's going to go be an all-star for somebody else. Maybe. But a lot of his sleeper appeal was playing for the Rockies. It was the idea that he'd have this 350 BABIP that comes from playing in Coors Field. And, uh, you know, that, that'll, that would mask... His plate discipline, deficiencies, maybe a little bit of a power shortcoming there. Uh, He's been injured so much that I think you could argue we haven't seen all David Dahl can be yet, just like I was saying for Hampson. But I don't know. It's it's hard for me to think of him as a sleeper no matter where he goes now.
0: Somebody tweeted that he'll wind up in St. Louis. And for some reason, that just makes so much sense to me. I don't know why. Kyle Schwarber... um, he's gone as well. That's pretty much guarantees everyday playing time for David Bodie. Uh, again, they could bring Kyle Schwarber back. We'll see what happens. Ellen, best landing spot for Kyle Schwarber. What do you think?
2: Oh, I don't know. I feel like I could see him maybe going to the nationals or the Braves. That would make sense. Um, obviously the Astros need another outfielder, but perhaps not somebody of Kyle Schwarber's particular cut of the jib. Um, Cleveland, of course, needs outfielders. Uh, you mentioned the Cardinals just now. I guess they could make sense for uh, Kyle Schwarber as well.
0: Anywhere. And, anywhere. Yeah. Imagine, <laughs> he just goes anywhere. To, imagine he just goes to Colorado, right, and just swap spots with David Dahl. That would, that would be that, awesome.
1: That's what I feel like is going to end up happening is a lot of these guys are just going to swap around. Like, it's going to be musical cheers. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like everybody could use an extra outfielder that can hit, right? Just about, just about.
0: Uh, Scott, Adam Duvall was awesome for your Braves. 16 home runs in 57 games, which Mm -hmm. actually equates to 45 home runs over the course of a full season, including two different three-homer games this past (laughs) season, which was, it's just so weird in a 60-game span. Uh, I would say this probably all but guarantees everyday playing time for Christian Pache.
1: Well, if they don't bring Duvall back or if they don't bring in a Kyle Schwarber or or whoever else. I think Pache is probably going to play every day anyway. He was a regular in the playoffs after Duvall got hurt. He was their regular center fielder and had a home run, didn't get a lot of hits, but didn't strike out much. Like it, it Definitely, he seemed like just watching him play, he seemed like he was ready for a more consistent opportunity. And... There's probably room for him, um, you know, because Mark Kakis doesn't need to be a regular part of the lineup. There's probably room for him and somebody, and, and an additional outfielder both, yeah. Um, but it would be hard for me to say it's a guarantee at this point. I, I think it's a strong possibility. The
0: players who were tendered, Chris Bryan, of course, there was some suspicion that he might be non-tendered. He was tendered by the Chicago Cubs, and... Also, Tommy Pham by the San Diego Padres. And I just wanted to bring this up, this long laundry list of surgeries that Tommy Pham has undergone in the past year or so. He underwent surgery earlier this offseason to correct a problem in his left wrist. He's now had three surgeries since mid-August. First was to repair a broken hamate bone in his left hand. Second was to treat a stab wound in his lower back. Can't really blame him for that one, I guess. And, and then his, his final procedure, which was previously undisclosed, was to address the worsening of a tear in the cartilage structure on the small finger side of his left wrist. That was a mouthful. Uh, he is lifting weights, apparently, and running, but he has yet to resume swinging. However, Pham says his wrist feels much stronger, and the grip strength is significantly, significantly improved from where it was during the 2020 season. On top of all that, he's playing with a partially torn UCL, and he's in a contract year. So the bionic man, Tommy Pham, who I think from a Roto perspective on a team that likes to run with San Diego, I'm still interested. Call me crazy. Like I think he has 2020 potential. And if he hits near the top of the lineup, he's going to score a ton of runs for the San Diego Padres. What do you think, Ellen?
2: been out on Tommy Pham at the price for the last couple of years, but I feel like this might be enough of a discount if he's going, you know, outside of the outside of the top 100 that I'd scoop him somewhere and kind of see what happens.
0: Yeah, the early ADP is 117 uh, as the 31st outfielder off the board. So usually you'd have to spend a fifth, sixth round pick on, on Pham. And now, you know, if you play in a 12-team league, you get him in ninth, tenth. It's a pretty good spot, I think. A few smaller deals. Jose Iglesias was traded to the Angels, and Corey Knebel was traded to the Dodgers. That actually happened right before we started recording here. And, Scott, I have a pop quiz for you. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Uh, Which team has the most stolen bases since the start of 2019?
1: Since the start of 2019. Uh, I'm going to go with the, I don't know, Padres. That Do would I get be,
2: to guess too,
1: oh, yes, you can, surely
2: I'm gonna guess the Royals.
0: It is the Texas Rangers since Chris Woodward has been there, hmm. and what? it's not it's not particularly close, and it just sounds weird, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: who's stealing those bases?
0: yeah, I thought the Royals
1: was obvious when she said it
0: <laughs> and uh and Jace Tingler came over from the Rangers after the 2019 season in 2020 and basically just kept up that philosophy with the Padres. So uh, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we did have some news on Isaiah Kiner-Falefa that came out earlier in the week that he will be the Rangers starting shortstop in 2021. And I think that he is sneaky for Roto and head-to-head categories. Like he's not going to give you much pop. He only had three home runs, but eight steals, five cut stealing. He tried to run 13 times with the Rangers. Uh, He was on pace for 22 steals. So... Just remember the name, Scott. I think in a roto league, as a middle infielder, everyone's looking for steals. I think Connor Falefa could give you 20 to 25.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was an everyday player this year, and I feel like the only reason he really amounted to much was because he was catcher eligible, and he's obviously not going to be anymore. Um, I had hopes he might be developing power because, remember, he had a big spring. He had a big summer camp. And uh, they were talking about some changes he made to his swing, hit a lot of home runs then, and they fittingly evaporated during the regular season. So I don't know. I, I'm pretty much out on him since he's not Keller eligible and eligible anymore. It's not like you get that. Uh, he's kind of a cheat code there, and, and that was what made him interesting. I, I feel like the more interesting note here related to this is that if he's their regular shortstop, that kind of means they're out on Elvis Andrews, right? They're, they're moving on from Elvis Andrews. He's still there. He's still with them. But it doesn't sound like they want him to be part of their lineup anymore.
0: Elvis Andrews. He gone. He gone. And he gone. And he gone.
1: Little Hawk Harrelson there for you.
0: Uh, yeah, Elvis Andrews, it seems like he's going to be moved into a utility role. And part of that reason as well is because, according to Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News, Nick Solak will likely win the starting job at second base if he can prove this spring that he can handle the position defensively. So I guess that kind of leaves Ed Odor somewhere on the outside looking in as well. And Ellen, I love Nick Solak. Kind of like how you love David Fletcher.
2: I do love David Fletcher. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For me, the defense is the real question, and I actually feel like defense is part of this for a fantasy standpoint because... He had negative five defensive runs saved at second base and minus eight in the outfield in a shortened season, um, which gives him obviously a negative war in both formats. So... I just don't know if this is going to happen for him. Um, I like as an offensive player, I do like him particularly if he can steal you those bases um, and he's maybe a more exciting option for us than Rugnet Odor, not the power ceiling of Odor, obviously, but I kind of feel like Solak is like a guy that the pitcherless guys would say he's a small room. Like, you know, the ceiling is lower, but the floor is higher.
0: That's, Probably fair. Yeah, that's fair. He makes a lot of contact. He did raise his fly ball rate this year, so I think the power could potentially bounce back. Can he be a 10 to 15 home run, 20 steal guy? I think it's possible for Nick Solek, so he's on my radar. Who calls
1: that a small room? I've never heard that before.
0: Pitcher list?
2: I I think it's... uh, Nick Pollock and Alex fast at Pitch oh, List.
1: small, room. unless I'm misattributing.
2: Mic- Sometimes I just remember things in the middle of a podcast and I'm not 100% sure where I heard them.
0: No, that sounds accurate though, because when we had Nick Pollock on, he was throwing out all kinds of crazy acronyms and stuff. And I was like, dude, that was the longest acronym I've ne- ever heard. And I know yeah, he, headache
2: inducing pitchers that stifle the entire roster. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think that was the I, one. Yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like. Like that reminds me of that room in being John Malkovich, you know, like that whole level of the office, you know what I'm talking about? It was, it was actually, it was actually unnecessarily, an unnecessarily weird detail thrown into a movie that was weird enough. And so it kind of gets lost, but yeah, there was like, there was this whole floor in being John Malkovich that like was ceiling was way too low.
2: I love everything about that movie, including that weird half floor where they have to stop the elevator and like, you know, jam the doors open to get out. Ugh oh, I love everything about that movie.
0: <laughs> of course, I have no idea what you guys are talking about, because I've seen like five movies in my life and everyone knows that at this point. But two at of them You've seen The Lost Boys. Yes, I have seen The Lost Boys. Uh, Scott hasn't, I believe. Is that true?
2: I was very surprised when there was a movie that Scott had not seen that you had seen, Frank. I was like, what is going on? Oh, I is down. Black is white.
0: Yeah. Euro trip recently as well. Although we talked about that the other day, and, and yeah, Scott was not a fan. That's
1: been remedied. I, I I guess that's the right word. That's been remedied. I don't know.
0: Yeah, not really. But all right, final <laughs> few news items. Trevor May signed with the Mets for two years, $15 million. He will likely be the seventh or eighth inning guy there. And... There was some hope that he could latch on somewhere as a closer, but that will not be the case in New York. Uh, the Red Sox reportedly have interest in Corey Kluber, and the Padres may get involved on Trevor Bauer or may look into trading for Blake Snell, according to reports. If you're watching us on YouTube, you see Ellen. She's wearing her Phillies paraphernalia, and
2: it's actually just a coincidence. <laughs> It's just a statistical likelihood that i'm wearing some phillies paraphernalia. Uh,
0: so i would like to pick your brain a little bit about what's going on with the phillies here in the off season. It's a very slow off season, we know that. Uh, but they've got a few things going on the gm surge uh, doesn't really matter too much for fantasy i guess. But JT Real Muto, are they going to bring him back? The bullpen is very bad, so l- let's just start with Real Muto. First and foremost, we have a bunch of different crazy meters on here, the dropometer, Wario meter, uh the sinometer. This is a new one, the sinometer for the off season. JT Real Muto. zero, it's not happening. He's gone. Kiss him goodbye. 10, he's coming back. He's coming back to the Phillies. Where do you, where do you, where do you lie on the sinometer for JT Real Muto?
2: I think it's maybe a one. Really? Some part of me believes that they have to because otherwise, Southeastern Pennsylvania will burn to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if you saw this, where there were conflicting numbers floating around about how much the Phillies lost this past year. I think it was Bill Madden had erroneously reported that they lost $2 billion, um, but I think I the number is actually like 145 or 168 Anyway, this all came out with John Middleton reportedly saying that it meant that they weren't signing any big free agents this season. And so maybe this is just to decrease expectations so that the Delaware Valley area isn't actually raised to the ground, but it doesn't look good. And I actually I wrote a piece this summer at the Turf Sports, um, which was a JT Realmuto Christmas Carol, which is actually still quite applicable. And at the time I cast Matt clentac as Scrooge because he is 100 percent responsible for the trash drafting and development that has brought the Phillies to their miserable place today. But I clearly should have cast Middleton, who is worth like three billion dollars, but also just like laid off 80 people in the organization. And I'm sure it saved him like 10 million dollars tops. So talk about Scrooge. I don't know that he's going to be doing anything for the Phillies this offseason.
0: Oof. Man, that is... uh, And especially because they gave up such a prospect in 6 Sanchez to get him, right? So you would figure they should go out and give some money to JT Real Muto, so... Uh, could potentially be on the move, whether it's the Mets. I don't know. Apparently the Mets are looking at James McCain, so we shall, we shall that see.
1: That also wouldn't bode well for uh, the uh, free agent predictions podcast we did where I predicted like half of all the free agents were going to the Phillies.
0: I think I had Springer going to the Phillies too, so it <laughs> flushed that way <wind> down <laughs> I, I the toilet. I had Springer
1: going to the Rockies. Maybe that's why they got rid of Dahl. Oh, you never know.
0: Right. You all never right. Know. Uh Ellen, the Phillies bullpen was historically bad in 2020. Sorry to remind you. They had a 7.06 ERA. Uh that was the highest in the majors. Are they really going to go into uh 2021 with Hector Neris as their closer?
2: Oh god. I mean, I I really hope not, but I just I I have no faith in the Phillies doing anything right. Obviously, they're like they're a headless body Uh, (laughs) on the on the podcast. I'm on Joe Posnanski's podcast on The Athletic. And I said that I wouldn't trust the Phillies organization to not lose their mittens unless it was attached to their coats by uh, an elastic band. Um, So, I mean, the whole bullpen disaster in 2020 was because Middleton was unwilling to go over the luxury tax, which is pretty ridiculous after spending all that money on Harper and Real Muto and getting Gregorius. And then he just wouldn't go in just a little bit more. And so the 2020 Phillies are seen as this abject failure when, in fact, their offense was good and their starting pitching was decent. But there were This is my favorite sad fact. There were 15 games, which is a quarter of the season where they led and lost, but they are losing a lot of their bullpen arms, even from this year. And it's clear that they don't have much from within to stock an entire pen. So they're losing. I have a list here. Tommy Hunter, Blake Parker, Jose Alvarez, Adam Morgan, David Phelps, Brandon freaking workman and Heath Hembree. What a terrible trade that ended up being. So, One feels like they have to sign someone, but I feel like everybody looking at the gaping maw of the Phillies' need and deciding that the Phillies are going to get Liam Hendricks, I just, I don't think that's happening. Like, I honestly, I was kind of hoping that they'd sign Trevor May because then he could close and it wouldn't be as expensive, but I'm glad at least he got more money than I thought he would.
0: Yeah, it's probably not going to be Liam Hendricks, but he's also the premier reliever on the market. So even if they drop down to, like, I don't know, Trevor Rosenthal, Mark Melanson, Kirby Yates, there, there is no shortage of current former closers that are available that they might be able to get for cheap. And they probably, even if they don't want to spend, they probably should for at least one of these guys because I don't think Hector Neris is the answer. The last thing I wanted to ask you is regarding Zach Wheeler. I mentioned I've already done three drafts. Ellen, and I have Zach Wheeler on two of them. So should I feel good about that? He's my SP3 in both of them.
2: I think you should feel pretty great about that myself. I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of a mystery box element to the Phillies pitchers because we have a new pitching coach for the fourth time in four years. It's sort of like the defense against the dark arts teacher in Harry Potter. That's another sick Harry Potter reference for you because I'm so cool. Um, anyway, their new pitching coach is Caleb Cotham, who was the assistant pitching coach and director of pitching for the Reds. So hopefully having a driveline guy will be helpful for the Phillies. But, you know, as I think was much discussed, Zach Wheeler had a sort of a surprising profile in 2020 where he had a career-low 18% K rate, but a career-high uh, 56% ground ball rate. And there was definitely a moment when I was like, "Zach Eflin is getting more strikeouts than Zach Wheeler. How did we get into this alternate timeline? Um, but there were a couple of interesting things about that because what I saw under Brian Price specifically um, was that both – Wheeler and NOLA were really pitching east west with just a little bit of north south dimensionality. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that for both of them, their sinker has nearly as much horizontal break as it does vertical break. Um, It's sort of in the opposite directions, but it means that it's the opposite side of the plate as the slider in Wheeler's case and the change up in NOLA's case. Anyway. I bring this up only because the interesting thing about Wheeler getting so many more ground balls was it had nothing to do with his sinker specifically. So every single one of his pitches besides his slider had a massive decrease in average launch angle by like, 10 to 15 degrees. So this is something that he was doing differently with all of his pitches. So obviously he's not about to forget it just because he has a new coach, but who knows what plan Kotham might have and whether or not he might have the same priorities about making sure that Wheeler gets deeper into games by inducing more ground balls rather than hunting strikeouts. But I think either way, you're getting a good thing out of Wheeler. I'm just not sure which good thing it's going to be.
0: And speaking of going deep into games, I mean, that was Wheeler's calling card, basically, in the shortened season. He went at least five and two-thirds in all 11 starts that he made, and he has been up over 180 innings each of the past two full seasons, so 2018 and 2019. So we're, we're going to be looking for pitchers who can give us innings and be a dependable workhorse, and it just feels kind of weird to call Zach Wheeler that, considering his injury history, but I think that's where he's at, and I think that he's going to be pretty safe for innings, and uh, you brought up the strikeout rate. Career high, 10.8% swinging strike rate. So I think some positive regression in the strikeout department could be, should be coming for Zach Wheeler as well. We're going to hit a quick break. I just want to remind everybody that you can sign up for our Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. I usually send one out once or twice a week. You could find Scott's latest articles. I'll throw a podcast in there as well. Uh, Whenever we do mock drafts, they will be in that newsletter as well. And sign up for our Facebook group. Facebook.com slash groups slash Fantasy Baseball Today. A lot of people asking dynasty questions. Uh, If you were trying to find a a league, I know someone emailed us today trying to find a new new league mate. Go to our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group and and throw it in there. And a lot of serious players, and I think you might be able to find someone. So that could be one of the uses for our uh, Facebook group. We're going to hit a break. When we come back, we are going to look at some of our favorite potential breakouts in 2021. Here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So, true story, Uh, Ellen emailed us about 10 minutes before we were about to start, and she said, Frank, you chose the same two hitters that I was going to choose for this exercise, which is just, what are the chances? Because, like... I don't know the math of like all the players in Major League Baseball and the breakdown of hitters versus pitchers. There are a lot of players in baseball. There are a lot of hitters in baseball. The fact that I threw two names on this rundown and they were the same two names that Ellen wanted to talk about is just blasphemy. It is insane. What so I'm very excited to talk
1: about these players.
0: Yes, me too.
1: You are, Especially w- when you hear what the
0: players are. <laughs> Uh, you, you are welcome back at any point, Ellen. The, uh, the fact that we share this, we are simpatico. Uh, so, so would you like to start? I feel like you should just choose whichever yes. one because it's. I love both of these players.
2: Well, I'm going to pick Rowdy Tellez. And I thought when I emailed you and I was like, let me take Rowdy and you can have the other guy that we'll hear about later. Uh, I thought I'd pick him since I have Mr. Rowdy Telez in Scott White's famed 24-team Dynasty League that he is so kind to let me be in. Mm -hmm. Um, So for our friend Rowdy, uh, it was only 35 games that he played in in 2020, but he slashed 283, 346, 540 with eight home runs. And very excitingly, the highest walk rate of his career at almost nine And he practically halved his strikeout rate, which was uh, 28.4% the previous year to 15.7%. So even if his long-term gain is half of that, that's huge. And he's also in the eightieth to eighty sixth percentile for a lot of the different expected stats on baseball savant. so solid. And the question for Telez is really whether or not he'll have a place to play. So by the time uh, many people are drafting, we'll have more information. But uh, if the blue Ga- if if the blue Jays uh, get an upgrade anywhere around the infield, like he might, potentially be out of a job, since he's really only a first base DH type, and they've already got Vlad. Uh, But he's going around pick 278, so that's the NFBC ADP, so it seems like somebody to make a good gamble on.
0: And I just took him as my corner infielder in my most recent draft, which is currently going on. Yeah, he's super interesting. And look, there's a chance the Blue Jays go out and sign someone or trade for Lindor and shuffle things around in their infield. It sounds like they're going to try and be aggressive this offseason. So that could affect Rowdy Tellez's playing time. And again, like Ellen said, you'll know by the time you're drafting most of us. Um, But Scott, did you know that Rowdy Tellez averaged 3.0 fantasy points per game this past season, which was the same amount as Pete Alonso, and it was better than his teammate Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Did you know that?
1: I didn't know that specifically. I, I knew his per-game per production was high, especially in a points league because he kept the strikeout rate so low. Um, I Personally, I'm not as high on him as it sounds like you guys are because I just don't believe they're that interested in making him an everyday player. I, they, they didn't play much against left handers this year to begin with and, and like you guys mentioned they they it sounds like they plan to be pretty active in free agency. so it just seems like he'll be somebody who gets bumped out and I don't think he'll be bumped out completely. I think he'll he'll always have a part-time spot in that lineup. you know, maybe I'm wrong. maybe I'm wrong. we'll we'll know obviously going into the season what his role is projected to be and that might uh reshape my thinking. but personally, I don't have him particularly high in my rankings.
0: So for Rowdy, and if anyone in the Blue Jays organization is listening, you should be, by the way. Uh, Rowdy Tellez had an 8-11 OPS against lefties in 2020. And then last year in 2019, he had an 8.31 OPS against lefties. So kind of has like a weird reverse split thing where he's actually been really good against lefties. So Blue Jays organization, if you're listening, um, please like, give Rowdy Tellez a shot. Scott, a hitter that you expect to take the next step in 2021.
1: So, I came up with a few names here, some a little higher end than others, uh, but I've decided to make this my opportunity to talk about how much I have come to love Cabrian Hayes. I I knew you were
2: going to pick Cabrian Hayes and that's (laughs) why I didn't pick him. I just (laughs)
1: knew. (laughs) I I wasn't sure I had voiced this yet, so I I wanted to make sure I got it in here. But yeah, I had this weird feeling about Cabrian Hayes as he was coming up through the minors. as his, uh, you know, debut drew close that he was going to kind of go the Francisco Lindor route. Well, uh, where, okay, we know, you know, he's kind of been named among the top prospects for a while now, even though the minor league production, isn't that great. And you think it's mostly because of defense. He has some pretty good contact skills, but offensively, you're not seeing much else going on there. Um, but then when he gets to the majors, I don't know if it's just the heightened competition or the fact he's seeing pitchers who throw more strikes or what it is, but he just goes off. And that's, granted, in a tiny sample size, not enough for him to exhaust his rookie eligibility even. That appears to be what happened with Cabrian Hayes, who uh, ended up hitting, in the 24 games he played, at 85 at-bats, hit three seventy-six with five homers, seven doubles, Triples added a stolen base for good measure. The strikeout rate was low, uh, as you would expect, but you know, twenty percent from a rookie—that's that's impressive. No matter who's doing it, his average exit velocity, ninety-two point eight. That would have been top fifteen among qualifiers, just behind AL MVP Jose Abreu. So he hit the. hit the crap out of the ball and he hit the crap out of the ball while pulling it only 25% of the time. I mean, he was opposite field focused and was still hitting it that hard. So like, I mean that, that shows real aptitude with the bat, I feel like. And while the launch angle was a little on the low side, he still managed to hit five home runs and those 85 at bats, a ton of extra base hits on the hole and and that's something i feel like he can improve going forward either he, it seems like he has the two bigger two bigger hurdles cleared already which is making contact and um you know using the entire field and i, I, I don't know i mean like He runs a little bit, you know, he had a 27 steal season in the minors. Once he was 13 for 14 in 2019, the the most recent season we saw from him down there. So like, I, I feel like batting average, he looks like a pretty safe bet steals. He's going to be better than the average corner infielder at least. And so it's a question of how quickly the power comes, but like first returns, that's looking great too. I, I feel like a Brian Hayes is somebody I could draft as my starting third baseman and, and feel pretty good about even. You know, know, presuming I miss out on a lot of those high end guys at the position.
0: And I don't know the drafts that I've done so far, I don't know if people realize this, but third base is not nearly as deep as it has been in years past. Like it's deep with solid talent throughout, but it is very top heavy. And the top five or six third basemen, they're all going to be gone by the top 36 picks. Like within the first three or four rounds of your drafts, those third basemen are gone. And then, you know, it kind of dries up a little bit. So Cabrian Hayes, definitely interesting, walks a lot. Makes a decent amount of contact. The one drawback, maybe, is he hits a lot of ground balls, but yeah, I mean, that's me just really reaching here. Uh, Ellen, fan of Cabrian Hayes?
2: Yes, absolutely, I am. And, you know, I know, Scott, that you're a fan of Cabrian Hayes, but also uh, Shelly Verog straight is a great fan of Cabrian Hayes. And uh, on a podcast that I love, a Phillies podcast called Hit and Season. It's the Good Fight podcast. John Stolness was talking about the fact that Cabrian Hayes actually had a higher war than any of the uh, NL Rookie of the Year candidates, despite the fact that he only played in half of the games. I mean, (laughs) some of that has to do with the fact that Alec Bohm had kind of negative war for defense, whereas Hayes still had positive war. So you're not exactly getting quite that difference between Bohm and Hayes as fantasy players. But nevertheless, he's really exciting. I think it's worth mentioning that he did have a 450 BABIP uh, this year. And so he may not hit 376, but his expected <laughs> batting average was 300, which like you'd still yeah. take that. And his exit velocity and uh, Scott mentioned and his hard hit rate was 55 percent. So just woo. Um, And something specifically that Shelley had mentioned in her article uh, on Pitcher List was that his swing percentage is about average, but his zone contact rate is about 10 percentage points higher than average at 93.2 percent, which means that he just kills anything that's put into the zone. Uh, And he also has a really excellent swinging strike rate at like seven or 8%. So I'm very excited about him.
0: Lots to like with Cabrian Hayes. And without further ado, the other player that Ellen and I decided was going to break out in 2021 (laughs) together, apparently was Dylan Carlson. And look, the thing is you're not going to get him cheap because A lot of people like him. I believe he's going inside the top 130 right now in ADP. So uh, a lot of people are expecting the breakout, but he failed. He came up last year. He probably, you know, it's his first time around the majors, and he didn't succeed at first, and he got sent back to their alternate site. But when he came back, super small sample size. But hey, I mean, everything we're doing nowadays is with small sample sizes. Dylan Carlson's final 12 games. 278 batting average, 936 OPS, two homers, four doubles, one triple, a 32% line drive rate, and a 92.9 mile per hour average exit velocity. And then he went on to the postseason, performed well there, had a couple of hits, he had a couple of walks, he stole a base in the postseason as well, and that's the biggest stage against the best pitchers. So I was impressed by the fact that he was able to bounce back all within his rookie season. Ellen, what are some of the reasons why you like Dylan Carlson for next year?
2: Yeah, it's a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. And I think it's partly thinking that some some foolish people, but of course, obviously not very many, considering that, you know, he's going uh, on NFBC at pick 138 might just be misled by his full season, in quotes, uh, stat line of 200. Um, But even for that, his expected batting average was 246. So even this sort of slow start that he had to the year before he was sent down, it seems like he was getting unlucky during that time. And then, as you mentioned in the playoffs, like he was hitting cleanup and he had a 1015 OPS. And yes, it was only three games. But on the plus side, maybe it was like only three games. And so he's not going to get a sort of Rosa reina like bump in terms of how interested <laughs> people are in him. Uh, And his 42% hard hit rate is well above average. I mean, it's no Cabrian Hayes hard hit rate, but it's fine. Uh, And I feel like we could even see his strikeout rate shrink and his walk rate grow into something that was closer to his minor league track record. So I wouldn't be surprised if he had something more like a 20% strikeout rate and an 8% walk rate going forward.
0: The NL Central is in good shape, apparently, with some of those young hitters out there. Scott, why don't you... Give us a picture that you're looking at for
1: next year to take the next step. Okay, so a picture I'm starting to get excited about is John Means. And I knew you were going
0: to choose him. So, Scott, you are becoming too predictable because Ellen knew that you were going to choose Cabrian Hayes, and I knew uh-huh. you were going to choose John Means. That is actually why I didn't choose him myself.
1: Apparently so. I, I surprised myself with these picks because they weren't who immediately came to mind. But as I was looking through my rankings, I, yeah. I mean, John Means had a pretty good rookie season. He looked like a left-hander who was going to be in the strike zone a lot but didn't throw particularly hard. And and so he might be able to have a decent ERA, but um, you know, in, in a way that felt vulnerable. This year... He finished with worse ERA. It was it was around 4.50, but over his last four starts, John Means showed that John Means business. <laughs> See what happened all year. The velocity was up. It was up about two miles per hour on his fastball. It was up on all his pitches, frankly. Um, but. Like the results weren't there, and 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 so it's like okay, so he's not a soft tosser anymore. But what does it matter if you know he's getting hit hard? Those last four starts, his swinging strike rate just blew up. It was sixteen percent. It would have been top five in baseball if those that four start stretch had been the whole season. He would have been a top five pitcher in swinging strike rate. And in those four starts, John Means had a one fifty two ERA, a .63 WHIP, eleven point four K per nine. He was completely transformed. For four starts to end the season, which would be enough to get my attention on its own. But when a guy goes from throwing 91 to 94 on top of it, averaging that on his fastball, it's it's like, who is this guy, even? And and as I mentioned, he does a good job of staying in the strike zone, limiting walks. So that's not even an issue for him. If if he if he has genuine bat missing potential on top of it, I mean I don't know. I, I, had, I hadn't thought much about John Means before that four-start stretch, but it was a real eye-opener eye for me, and I think, uh, I think he could have a big breakout.
0: And I think most people are going to look at John Means and they're going to say, oh, but he pitches in Camden Yards, he's got to pitch against the Yankees, and assuming the Red Sox improved their lineup and, and the Blue Jays, and you know, they're going to shy away, but a 3.09 expected ERA according to StatCast as well. So, I mean, this guy was really limiting hard contact and generating those swinging strikes, as you highlighted, Scott. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm in as well. John Means, definitely, uh, definitely an interesting name, even though he pitched in Camden Yards. Ellen, what do you think? A pitcher that you uh, expect to take the next step in 2021?
2: Well, this might be a little bit of a cop-out, but... I was super in on Joe Musgrove for 2020 and really if he'd played a full season, he might not qualify for like taking the next step forward, but he only pitched 39 innings. Um, But he was particularly good at the very end of the season. And so I feel like uh, saying that he's going to be that good for longer is taking the next step forward from only being good for 39 innings. Um, And the fact that he was really better than ever before after coming back from, Uh, the triceps injury rather than before is definitely, you know, it does my heart good. Um, But he had his career best ERA of 3.89. And that's pretty much backed up by FIP, XFIP, and XERA that are all actually lower than that. And his strikeout rate skyrocketed to 33%, which was around 21% for the rest of his career. And I think maybe the most exciting thing is that Uh, His average exit velocity on his batted balls was way down uh, to 85 miles per hour, which was in the top 7% of the league, according to StatCast. And this all happened with the highest BABIP of his career. So it's not necessarily a matter of luck. And it's also good to see that there are things to explain this, because for years we've been like, Joe. Joe. We love you, Joe. Just stop throwing that fastball so often. You have like five freaking pitches, my dude. And in 2020, he started throwing his fastball less. Hooray! And his changeup more. And At the same time, he also got more horizontal and vertical break on both of those pitches. So he added two inches of horizontal break to his slider. So basically, they were even more effective than ever. And it was beautiful. Um, He's going at pick 151 on NFBC. So again, this is not like a super late person, but I would be not at all surprised to see him kind of make a leap into being a top 100 pitcher
0: this next year. Now, Ellen, I have to ask you, are you trolling me right now? No. (laughs) Did you pick Joe Musgrove? No, no. I thought about it, but I have basically become synonymous with Joe Musgrove because I have drafted him for each of uh, every year that he's just been part of baseball. Just I picked him up. I've touted him as a sleeper every single year. And I'm just like the year that I don't draft Joe Musgrove is the year that he's going to win the Cy Young. I swear. like <laughs> The stuff is there. Absolutely. And I've been like just banging the table for years now. Like Just throw the fastball less. Final five starts, only use the fastball 39% of the time. Slider, 25%. Curveball, 22%. Swinging strike rate, 16%. A K per nine, 13.6. Walks per nine, 1.8. The guy has all the talent in the world. I don't know if he needs a change of scenery or what it is, but... Joe Musgrove has wow. talent. Stop me if you've heard that before.
1: Maybe the scenery changed around him, and that's why, you know, the, the last five starts, five starts, right? That went the way they did. Another Pirates pitcher you could say that about, just throw the fastball less, is a guy coming back from Tommy John, Jamison Tyone, mm. who I thought about picking for this too. Uh, obviously, we don't know exactly how, how the, the return from that will go, If he'll have, if his stuff will be diminished or whatever. But if it isn't, a lot of upside there for Jamison, Tyone, and and it's 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 a new Pirates organization. They have different philosophies. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I loved him
0: last season too is they brought Oscar Marin in to be the pitching coach there and they got away from Ray Searidge who was just very heavy on this fastball sinker approach and we saw once guys like Garrett Cole left from there and Tyler Glass now, they go on to become these great pitchers. So I was buying the total package, Ellen, so I am enthused that you like Joe Musgrove as well and I'm hoping, I'm never going to give up. I'm just going to draft him every year until either he retires or it works out and then the next year he's like a second or third round pick and then, okay, I don't have to draft him anymore. I'll let someone else draft him. So that's a long way of saying that I agree with you and I love Joe Musgrove. Um, the name that I wanted to bring up, you see the Yankee stuff behind me. Uh, when I had Matt Modica on, he brought this name up and I, I recently looked into him. It's Jordan Montgomery. The surface stats were not very good. Actually, they were quite bad for Jordan Montgomery. 5'11 ERA, 1.30 whip, a 3.65 XFIP, 9.6 K per nine, 1.8 walks per nine. And his K minus walk percentage was 19.7%. If he qualified, that would have been better than Carlos Carrasco, Zach Gallen, and Sonny Gray. So, I think there's something there with Jordan Montgomery. Uh, The chase rate was a career high. The swinging strike rate was a career high. He saw increased velocity coming back from Tommy John surgery. 92.5 miles per hour on the fastball. Changed the pitch mix up a little bit. So, remember the name. I think in that John Means mold, late round sleeper, flyer, Jordan Montgomery, Uh, joining John Means.
2: I actually owned Jordan Montgomery in a couple of leagues this past year, so I'm you know, very aware of how he didn't quite do what I hoped that he would. Uh, On the other hand, I feel like if he's cheap, I'm back in uh, this year because I sort of feel like all of the reasons that I was in on him last time I drafted, I'll just try again this time
0: if he's still cheap. I hear you. Uh, And you're going to be able to get him for super cheap anyway. So Jordan Montgomery, just a name to remember. Ellen, I remember last year on the podcast, Adam was, Adam was asking all these kind of crazy questions towards the end of that podcast, and I had a meeting with him today, and I said, do you, do you have any questions for Ellen? We're going to have her on the show. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask her what her three best side dishes were on Thanksgiving.
1: <gasps> Ooh,
0: that's an excellent question.
2: It's going to be hard to decide. One of them, I have to pick stuffing. I really love stuffing. It's basically like seasoned bread and butter and it's delicious. And I think this year we had sweet potato biscuits that Mm. were some of the best thing I've ever had in my life. They were huge. They were sort of like Not the size of my head, but the size of my face. And (laughs) they were spectacular. And I don't think that I can choose pumpkin pie as a side dish, but I would. And I think the third thing that I'm going to choose is my wonderful husband made a Brussels sprouts dish with bacon and... It was basically like a Brussels sprouts bake. So, he, you know, sauteed the Brussels sprouts with the bacon and then he put them in a pan and then covered them with cheese. It was I believe gruyere and cheddar and put it in the oven and it was delicious.
0: Wow, that sounds
1: fantastic. It was oh, most man. excellent. Yeah. Anything Chris covered tower's in towers a big uh, big Brussels sprouts guy.
0: Well, anything a covered in bacon them. and cheese is probably
1: going to be awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I've told him when we've gotten into this. Brussels sprouts are actually amazing. And I'm like, well, yeah, you got to do a lot. I think you cook any vegetable the way it takes to make Brussels sprouts amazing. It would probably come out amazing. (laughs) That's fair.
2: I actually I'm sort of chicken tenders about Brussels sprouts. Like Mm. I just like roasted Brussels sprouts with nothing. Wow. So. Brussels sprouts with cheese and bacon is clearly better because cheese and bacon. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the unadorned Brussels sprout, not raw, but roasted uh-huh. is excellent.
0: Ellen Adair, thank you so much for joining us and make sure you go watch the center homelands billions. Don't be like me. Watch all those shows that Ellen has been a part of co-host of take me into the ballgame her on Twitter as well at Ellen underscore Adair, A-D-A-I-R. Ellen, thank you so much for coming on. Oh,
2: my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are my heroes.
0: (laughs) You don't mean that.
2: I do. I do mean it.
0: (laughs) Joe Musgrove is everyone's hero. Scott, go get some dipping sauce for your tenders. For Scott and Ellen, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye.